as we get deeper into a digital workplace, the role of the leader actually centers more on being human and understanding humanity and understanding how best they can support those people. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. The future of work, a tantalizing topic technologists have pontificated about for years. The future of work has been thrust to the forefront of everyone's mind during the first half of 2020. Many aspects of what could be the new normal have accelerated, if not emerged as new concepts altogether. This is your host, Jeff Tun. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to be on the podcast, Work Minus, to discuss the changing face of IT. Today, in what amounts to be turnabout is fair play, we are joined by the host of Work Minus, Neil Miller. Welcome to Status Go, Neil. Thanks, Jeff. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to chat with you again. I know Work Minus is a podcast whose mission is to explore the workplace of the future. As they so aptly remind us, this isn't your father's workplace. Neil, before we dig in, would you mind sharing a bit about your background and what led you to launch Work Minus? Sure. So I, I'm a, a simple guy from, from Indiana, but I had the opportunity to, to work in India for about six years. And that was a really transformative experience for me. I got to interact with lots of interesting people and ended up in, in Chennai, India and got in touch with people who were talking about about technology, there's a lot of startup companies there, uh, but specifically, uh, I was introduced to the idea of the human-computer symbiosis while I was out there, hmm. which was part of this paper by a guy named Lick Leiter back in the 1960s. I mean, obviously, a lot of your audience would know him as one of the original architects of the ARPANET, which became the internet as we know it now. Um, so even back then, he kind of saw where technology was, was headed and how it was going to change the whole world, not just work. And so really, that was my first intrigue into like, wow, things are really changing and, and they're really going to change a lot more. And if we don't get things right now, if we don't set ourselves on the right trajectory for it, then we're not going to make it. So Work Minus is a project that we started up just to explore those topics and see, okay, what's coming next? What do we need to get ready for? How can we kind of create the road that leads to the best version of the future of work? And how long have you been doing it now? I forget how many episodes you have out now. We're, we're up to like 110 episodes. So this is, we've been about two years because we do about once a week that goes through. So, I mean, as you mentioned, this is the best timing to be in this kind of uh, area because all of a sudden it's not just like a theoretical thing we're thinking about, but we're actually experiencing at least one part of it. You know, the remote work part is, is just kind of a, a taste of, of what else is out there. So on your website, I was looking at it uh, the other day, you focus on six key concepts of work that you need to reimagine or redefine as we move more into the future of work. So for our listeners who may be hearing you for the first time, can you describe those six key concepts? And we'll start at a high level and then we'll double click on a few of them. Sure. So on the website, we list uh, the topics are leadership, productivity, uh, inclusion, workspaces, technology, and culture. Each of those we feel like 
there, there's one understanding of that concept in what we'll call like a traditional in-office workspace. And then there's a, a different concept of that when you look into the future and say, okay, how can these be redefined? So we, we can get into each of those in depth, but but really those kind of form the, the framework of what we're talking about. And why those six things? Can you kind of describe how you came up with those six areas? <laughs> Mostly I interviewed 100 people and that was those were the things they wanted to talk about. <laughs> Well, that's a good way of doing it. Yeah, yeah and just I'm I'm not a futurist myself. I wouldn't say I'm not somebody who who has a lot of talent in this field or experience. But I the thing I bring is I can synthesize ideas pretty well, and I can see oh you're talking about the same thing that they're talking about. And so even now we're we're starting to see uh, a synthesis of things. And when you look at the future, these are the things that come up again and again about how do we build a better, better culture? How do we build a better concept of productivity? How do we build a better approach to leadership? So as people started talking, I, I started to see these themes that came through. Excellent. Well, I think there are six great themes, and I'd like to explore a few of them with you here today. For our listeners, we're recording this about three months into the social distancing and work from home mandates related to COVID-19. So as you know, as a, as a listener and experiencing this, some of this has accelerated quite dramatically in those three months. So let's start there, Neil, with workspaces. What do workspaces look like in the future? And how has the last three months changed that vision? I think up until like, if we say February of 2020, um, the office was still the epicenter. It was the center of gravity for work. Um, there, there were there have always been a few companies that have operated in a remote environment or what they'll call like a distributed team environment where you can really work from wherever you want. And those companies are really helpful right now to help guide us in, in how to work through this. But at that point, everything was, was still pretty office-centric. I think we're now in an era where everyone's been forced to experiment at least with, with working from home, those who can. Um, and now we're, we're in an era where when we try to rebuild the workplace, the office, I don't think will become the center anymore. I think it will be a feature. I think it will be an option to kind of plug into your digital workplace as, as you see fit. Uh, I hear people talking about like local distributed offices where, where people can come, you know, with, we don't know how long a lot of these distancing requirements will be in there. I think it's, it's good to expect they'll be there maybe forever. Um, and so if you're looking at, you can't do these open offices anymore. We just cram people in, into the same, same place, but you need smaller places that are around or if people are going to be working from home. What does that mean? So I, I think, yeah, to me, the, the foundational thing is that the office becomes a, just a feature of the work environment, not the center of it. I ran into a company yesterday that you, you might be interested in. You may have heard of them. It's Olive, and I think they're out of Columbus, Ohio. Okay. And they describe their workplace as a grid. So they don't use the phrase remote work or work from home. You're just, if you're, if you're working, you're on the grid. Hmm. If you're not working, you're off the grid. And then they do have offices, but they're more like hubs. Right. Uh, and so they've got various hubs that they talk about. It was very fascinating. There's a PowerPoint presentation that someone shared with me yesterday that kind of talks through that. I thought that was a, a fascinating approach to even change the language of the workplace. Have you run into anybody that's exploring those types of nuances of the workplace? 
I haven't heard, haven't heard of that example, and I really enjoy what, what they said. Either you're on the grid or you're off the grid. And it's, it's a good mindset, too, because one of the challenges of working from home is people knowing when they can log off. Like, how do I know when my work's done? Uh, yeah. What's okay for me to be done? Do I, do I log off at 5 or if I'm working at 7 or if I get up early and work? Is that okay? So recognizing that, that everyone's working from different places and we're going to have different times, and that's going to free people up to, to explore kind of, okay, what, what is actually an optimal schedule for you in your day. Um, yeah. And I think that that's a really helpful environment to think about. Uh, one, one thing I've, I've seen even in some of my interactions here in the US and also in India is that you, you see a lot of regional cultures and it's like this urban rural divide that, that's there in the US as well, where it's like, if you want to get a job, you got to move to the city. Um, but that leaves a lot of people out, leaves a lot of development out. Yeah. And so a, a model like this can actually enable people to say, yeah, I, I really want that small town life or I want that rural lifestyle. And you can still have that in these environments. Yeah, I think one of the other interesting things that they talk about in that presentation, I'll share that with you after the podcast today, is that if they have a group of 10 or more employees who have decided they want to live in, we'll just call it Fort Benton, Montana. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll create a hub there. They'll, yep. they'll drop in the technology and enable them to work from there. So it really builds out that work from anywhere. And the other thing that we've talked a little bit about in the past is kind of the death of the eight to five. And you were talking about that in your comments a few seconds ago, that maybe eight to five isn't the new norm. Uh, maybe it's, or maybe it's the old norm and the new norm is, you work when you're feeling motivated to work, so to speak. And that gets us to one of the other areas, which is productivity. Mm. And in this work on the grid or distributed workforce and the death of the eight to five, what's the definition of productivity? And how's that changed in the face of things like automation, artificial intelligence, and the digital mindset? Yeah, this is probably my favorite of, of all the topics to, to get into is the idea of productivity because because of the shackles I feel like we're under from the idea that that work and time have to be connected so much. Like you're you're working per hour, you're working per day. Like the reason that we're set with that is because, I mean, in my view, this is oversimplified, but if you look back to the Industrial Revolution, when these factories were getting going, like we had these big machines but we also needed robots to like run the machines and do some more intricate tasks that were there. But we didn't have any robots in that day. So we settled with humans and we trained humans how to be robots. And we started to measure them in the same way that we would measure robots. And that's, you know, very minute things down to the, the hour, the minute of how much somebody's worth in those things. And now we're at the place where we're starting to see, okay, we actually do have the robots that can do most of these things. And we do have the software and the algorithms and, and the machines that can do it. So we need to transition human work to, to other types of work, but how do you pay for that? It's, it doesn't make sense to pay per hour in, in several of these these contexts. So really the, the first thing to do in, in looking at the future of productivity is really break that connection, that tight connection between work and time. And I feel like the only way you can know if somebody did a good work is if they logged eight hours that day. So I think that's, that's kind of one of the foundational things, but then that really, to me, that's just kind of a, a basic level. You need to take that further and say, how else are we judging humans based on, you know, machine metrics that are out there? And what are some more human metrics that we can use when it comes to really being 
productive, really seeing, uh, I think one of the, the core things that humans do is we have objectives that we're supposed to reach and there's no roadmap. We don't know how to get there, but we have to get there one way or the other. Um, and so that's really what it means to be productive as a human. Like, did you get there? Did you meet the objective? Were you able to um, adapt when new challenges were put in front of you? And it's, it's hard to say, hey, you got nine to five to figure that out. Some, some yeah. days you're going to be putting in more hours. Some days it's, it's not as much and uh, we need to adapt to that. It sounds like what you're describing is more project-based or more deliverable-based measurements of productivity. Am I paraphrasing that correctly? Yeah, and, and I, would, I would maybe push that a little bit further, not just deliverables, because sometimes we can translate that into just tasks, like how many mm-hmm. tasks did you get done today, um, which is a part of it. And there'll, there'll be a, a scale of how we, we transition to this. And some days it is just like, yeah, you got to get some, some tasks done. But, but yeah, definitely, like, what's the actual objective that we're trying to reach? And how long is it going to take you? Uh, well, do you think it's going to take six months? Um, I, I really am a fan of, of saying, hey, you shouldn't have any productivity metric that's a, a week or less. Mm-hmm. Like, any productivity metric should be at least a month to take to do something. Does this lead companies down the path of the um, the project-based teams where you're almost self-organizing teams around a, a project or an effort initiative within the company? Have you had conversations along those types of uh, avenues? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a viable uh, option. I don't know if it'll be the only one, but I think that, that a lot of companies will will adapt to that and say, hey, We'll, we'll stop. We say, okay, what's the problem we have? Who are the best people to put on this? How can they work together? They don't really have a manager. Uh, they maybe have one person that's maybe holding res- the responsibility to, to achieve that goal, but everyone has their own uh, way to contribute towards it. And I think that that's likely a, a good model that, that could come out. I think we'll develop on that and, and iterate on that as well. That almost also leads us into the gig economy. And I'm sure that you have touched on this in your hundred plus conversations and, and dialogue, <laughs> but have you, have you seen companies that are being successful at that gig economy level? Uh, the gig economy is a tough one because the, the positives of the gig economy are enormous. Like being able to have the freedom of, of schedule. I think this is what a lot of people were, were looking for anyway, is that, Hey, I want to be able to, to control what I do. I want to be able to control like, what, how much I get paid for different things when I'm on, when I'm off. And it, it, you feel that kind of control when you're, you're in it, you're a gig worker that's there. Um, but there's also an abdication of responsibility that the companies take on when it's like, okay, now if we use gig workers, we'll have less risk that involved in that. And I, I don't think that that is a positive future of work. When you look at some of the, the bigger tech companies out there, the, the Ubers and the delivery drivers and the, those types of things that, that, that's not a, a viable future that we want to go down. We need to, to find a way to build that flexibility uh, in and allow people to do interesting work and to kind of choose to some extent the work that they're, they, want, they want to do and the hours they want to do it on, but still have some kind of security uh, that's there around them uh, to be able to, and whether that comes from uh, companies individually or if, if it becomes a national thing, that's, I don't really want to get into that, but those are different options that, that can, mm-hmm. can make that better. So we kind of brushed on this just now, and I know you and I have had this conversation in uh, previous uh, times when we've gotten together, the area of culture Mm -hmm. and how does culture change in the workplace of the future or the future of work? 
for the most part, when you look at culture, you're looking at the, the old style of culture was basically whatever goes. Like maybe you have some posters on the wall, but as long as it's legal, it's fine. Um, that was the kind of standard. Now, and there are a lot of companies that I feel like were were much more advanced in these areas and took these things seriously. And I think the the big difference you see in companies that, that do take it seriously is is in their behaviors. Like, would you actually do something different um, based on, on what's going on in your company if, if you align by the, your cultural values? Like, if you have a value for honesty, um, then how does that translate to how you share information, how you share transparent, bad information that's going on about perhaps like COVID going on right now? Uh, so I think the first step in, in culture is just being aware that for the most part, on the whole, organizations have ignored this. They, they've not really, they've just paid lip service to it and haven't really gotten serious about it. But I think as we as we go forward into more of digital workplaces and into more of the future, then then culture does become very important because it's it's about who we are. It's about that, you know, that, that hierarchy of needs. Like, do you have a sense of safety here? Do you have a sense of belonging? Um, do you feel like this is, this is where you are? This is where you can be your best self. And that, that's a way we can follow that. And I feel like as, as a whole, when I look at corporate America and, and generally organizations across the world, this is something we've been not doing well at and not focusing on. There are a lot of outliers out there who are doing great at this and are kind of pushing that level three, level four uh, type level of culture. But it, in, in general, a lot of us have a lot of work to go. One of the things that's just really struck me in the last few months is the, the concept of culture as a place. Hmm. Uh, and I got involved in a conversation with several business leaders, and they were expressing how anxious they were to get back to the office yep. because their culture was such that they needed they needed to have that buzz. They needed to have that excitement, that energy of the place. How would you advise leaders to change the way that they're expressing culture to extend it to the remote worker or the digital worker who may not be in the office? Yeah. And I think this goes back to even when we talk about workplaces, like the office is a feature, like physical interactions are a feature of your company, that they are not the, the essence of your company. Um, and so as you talk about building culture, um, as, as restrictions are, are laxed and, and we can start to meet together again, absolutely. Like being together physically, um, shaking someone's hand, giving hugs, if, if we're ever allowed to do that again, those are, are very powerful moments and powerful things to build culture and that the kind of serendipitous relationships that are there. Um, I, I liked, I interviewed one guy who said, you know, when you're, when you're in a remote culture, or a distributed culture, you realize how much, how much you got for free in the office. It just kind of happened naturally. You didn't have to work at it. And I think that's what I would, I would tell leaders who are having that feeling like, Hey, we just got to get back to being in the office to me without sounding, you know, too crude. It's, it's almost like you're just being lazy. Uh, yeah. You're not really working at it because you're relying on the, the physical aspect to build the culture instead of intentionally building it in with your actions, with your decisions that go through. And so if you're only relying on on the office to build that culture, then I feel like you're being lazy as a leader. Yeah, you're almost taking it for granted what happens there and how, how do you push it out and be yeah. intentional about it. That That's a great point. How do you handle that? You're in a distributed organization here is sitting in Indiana. Uh, how does your organization try to foster that culture throughout? 
Oh, it's a good question. Um, I would say the best things that we do are to, to make sure that we are connecting a lot. It's hard to do culture in, in a distributed team. You, you have so much written communication. There's so much that goes out there. That's just text, whether it's uh, Slack messages or things you're posting up there. And you can build culture with, with written communication. You can kind of like consolidate things. You can write things that are very emotional for people to read. But th- there really needs to be that, that kind of real-time connection with people, whether that means a, an audio call or a video call that, that's there. So, I mean, as, as soon as I knew that, that we were going to be very distributed, and even before the COVID stuff, we had this, like, I want to make sure I had touch points with all the, the people that I'm close with uh, on my teams that were, were there, that no one feels like they're on the outside, that everyone feels like they, they've had somebody to interact with that day. Um, and one of the things for me that became very important was meetings, not because we needed to have status meetings, uh, but because we needed those meetings to fulfill two main roles. And those meetings had to provide that personal connection. So we had to spend time the first five, 10 minutes, just kind of chatting, catching up with people. And then the rest of the time we needed to actually discuss the things that had to be discussed in those meetings. Um, but meetings is something that because there's so much unnecessary uh, elements of meetings in remote situations when you're doing a lot of status updates, a lot of things that could be written communication, then people just get overwhelmed and you got your whole day. You have six, seven meetings planned throughout the day and it's just all gone. And then people hate connecting yeah. with each other. And then when somebody suggests, Hey, let's just catch up. You're like, no, I can't, I got to get work done. Um, so I, I feel like that's the aspect I'm focusing the most on right now is like, how can I improve the meeting culture? Because if we improve the meeting culture, I feel like we're going to be at a higher level, our collaboration is going to be better. So that that's one big thing for me. Yeah, one one of the things that that I've started doing uh, with uh, the NDCIO network, uh, and I know you and I've talked about this before, and our audience has heard me talk about the in, the CIO network. We've had to go virtual uh, with our with our meetings, and I have uh, gotten in the habit of asking as we're doing introductions because we do introductions every time we meet. I asked them to rate on a scale of one to 10, how are they doing personally hmm. and how are they doing professionally? It gets beyond the, oh, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine yep. kind of exchange uh, and makes them really think about it. What happens is we start to get a dialogue around what things have happened in their life, you know, because they, they say, oh, I'm a, I'm a seven this week because of X, Y, Z, or I'm a three this week and it's really gotten beyond that and i'm i'm wondering if that's something that managers and leaders can use with their teams is just yeah. something as simple as that no absolutely and, and you you fit it right on is that this is a leadership issue too and i think in all these things it reveals that in order to do distributed teams right, in order to do a digital workplace right, you have to be better. Like you have to work harder. Just like the culture example, you you have to actually put effort into it. If you're a manager of a distributed team right now, you can't just walk in and say, hey, how's everyone doing? Fine. Okay, here's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You, you have to be able to put in the effort to say, hey, ask somebody a real question. Like, how are they doing? And give a, a response or, or come up with a different icebreaker question or, or invest in other technology, which helps you to have those fun discussions that are there. And, and that's where I feel like if we can move into this leadership category, like I feel like as people become better leaders in a digital environment, that that's really going to be key is, is not just leading as you did before, but leading in a new way, leading in, in a way that, that really takes advantage of humanity and says, you're actually leading humans here. 
you're not just trying to get a task done because again, if, if people are self-managed, they're kind of going off and doing these projects on their own. They don't need a manager so much. They just need somebody who's going to be a mentor, who's going to be a coach uh, along the way and make sure that they're doing well as a human. And I think that that's the future of leadership. Let's dive a little deeper on leadership. What are some of the skills of a leader in this digital era, this distributed workplace era? You know, I, I thought about this the most when, uh, you know, I have, I have two kids uh, at home that were, they're in elementary school. And so whenever our, our school district went to like an e-learning model during all, all the lockdown stuff, and I saw the teachers really struggling at the start because then they're, they're just not ready for this. They're not trained for it. They, they didn't know it was going to happen. Um, and they were kind of focused on, okay, how do, how do I make sure to get that work done that's supposed to be done every day? Then you start to see them as the weeks went by, they relaxed a little bit. They um, actually used a lot of like for math lessons, instead of them doing it themselves, they would find somebody else who had already posted a YouTube video that was excellent. And they would say, hey, just watch this. Right now, that sounds like maybe, okay, maybe they're they should be putting more work. They're being lazy. But really, when you think about digital environment, what's the role of the teacher? The teacher is to facilitate the learning and to make sure the students are engaged and, and feel a part of that. So now the teacher's job is more to spend time with individual students, to have Zoom meetings, to, to connect with them, to reach out and say, hey, how are you doing with this? Like, or, do you understand these concepts? Do you want to spend more time on it? And leaders and, and businesses should be doing the same thing. They should recognize that as we get deeper into a digital workplace, the role of the leader actually centers more on being human and understanding humanity and understanding how best they can support those people. Um, so whether that means finding ways to change policies, to reduce stress, whether it means finding ways to let people kind of be more productive on their own and, and encourage them and, and set up those things, whether it means just understanding empathy and, and social emotional learning. I feel like leaders of the future will have to have almost advanced degrees in, in humanities and in, in yeah. psychology and understanding how people work. Yeah, I think it's interesting that the more technologically advanced we become, the more human we have to be. Absolutely. Yeah. It helps separate us from the machine, I suppose, in some ways. So another area that I know you're very passionate about is uh, the area of diversity and inclusion. And as you and the people that you're working with and talking with are reimagining this future of work, how do we design it to be inclusive and to foster diversity? Yeah, and this is, I put this as a core element just because it's, you know, if we're going to build, rebuild the workplace, if we're going to rebuild a digital workplace, like let's make it so that everyone benefits from it which takes us again, being able to step back and recognize what's happened in the past, why, you know, I'm, I'm a, a straight white guy. And it probably took me 30 years to really recognize the advantage that I had and the privilege that I had because of that. Um, and recognize that the world is set up for me to succeed. Like it, it's very easy for me to, to find things. When I hear about a friend of mine uh, who comes from the same demographic that is out of work right now. Like I know exactly what to do to make sure that person has a job and is yeah. taken care of. And I, I will immediately open up my network to them and, and make sure that it happens. But if my personal network is all people that look like me, all people that kind of think like me, then those are the only people that really have access to those, those privileges as well. Yeah. And I think this, this comes back to what the kind of a common theme is that in order for me personally to to build out that network, so as a podcaster, as a host of a podcast, like 
I put an image of the guests on my homepage. And I, I do that to give people an idea who it is, but also to keep me accountable that when somebody goes to my homepage, it's not just here's nine white guys yeah. talking about technology, but they can actually see that there's diversity here. There are women here, there are minorities here. And that wasn't easy. Um, when you talk about some technology topics, people think, okay, it's just white guys talking about this. That's not true, but you have to work really hard yeah. uh, and go out of your comfort zone to find those people. I think that really kind of summarizes a lot of what we talked about today is you just have to be intentional yeah. to do it, whether you're talking about culture or diversity and inclusion, uh, leadership, it's intentional and, and you have to have that focus and that mindset. I think that as leaders, as we move into whatever this new normal is, I think those are the things we're going to have to draw upon is intent with empathy for the for the person, that humanness. And I know we've covered a lot of ground today. We really didn't even get into technology very deeply. We, we brushed on it here and that. Perhaps at some point you can come back and we can talk about the, the yeah, future sure. of work from a technology perspective. Yeah, because and it's important because we feel like, okay, technology is just the water we're swimming in, but it's not. You can adopt technology in a, in a poor way, in a really intelligent way. And to really understand the difference between those two and understand what what a very basic level looks like and, and how the most advanced workplaces out there are using technology. And you, you'll be surprised at, at how, in some ways, how much and how little technology they use. I think that would be a great follow-up discussion. But for now, I'd love to ask you a final question. Sure. What is one or two? two things our listeners should do tomorrow because they listen to us today? I think the the biggest theme that I see when we look at the future of work is that one, it's, it's not defined. There's not like, oh, yeah, absolutely. We're all going to automatically go to this, this better future where everyone's going to be happier and we're going to work better. It takes work. It's going to take hard work and it's going to take a lot of hard decisions by people who are in leadership roles right now to say, I'm not just going to do the default thing that everyone else is doing. Um, the unique thing about that, I talked in the beginning about this human uh, computer symbiosis. And, and Licklater said, you know, there's going to be a golden age when humans and computers are, are working together and they're going to get the best out of each other. And then the computers are going to realize we don't really need you anymore. Like, <laughs> you're kind of obsolete to this, this process that we're trying to do. Um, and... And for most of us, and, and honestly, that, that's we're, we're still very far away from that day uh, when those types of things happen. But in a lot of ways, I feel a little bit more urgency right now to say, hey, we got to get this right because there's a lot of AI out there. There's a lot of algorithms that are extremely powerful and we should absolutely use them and harness them and use them to the best. But our current state of work is not ready for it. And yeah. in a lot of ways, I feel like it would freeze where we're at right now. And I do not want to freeze where we're at right now. I want to get better first and then as those technologies start to be more prevalent throughout society that like, yeah, we can, we can start here and we can make this better. But if we started where we're at right now or, or 10 years ago or five years ago or five years in the future, um, that's there. So what's one thing they can do? Honestly, it's a lot of just saying like, why not? When I look at some of the people I've interviewed on my podcast, that's, uh, I feel like are very forward thinking. That was the, the question they asked, you know, why can't I do this? We talked to a guy from New Zealand who's who's really advocating for a four-day work week, um, which leads into productivity and a lot of different discussions. 
But the reason he, he tried it at his own company was just because he said, Let, let's try it. Let's see what happens. That kind of attitude of mm-hmm. just being able to say like, what, what if I had a team that didn't have a manager? Could they still function? And then just yeah. go through that mental experiment and just say, why not? And, and to be honest, where, where I'm at right now is, is saying we need a lot of a lot of companies that are, are willing to stand on the forefront and even, you know, on that first line of, of saying, I will be the one to make those hard decisions and to test these out and to experiment so that the people who are slower behind me can can see that it's not so scary and then keep moving forward like that. So if anyone's listening, anything that we've talked about or anything that you're thinking about, just ask, you know, why, why can't I do this right now? And let's make a, a good effort to try to ha- make it happen. I love that advice. Ask why not. I think that's fantastic. Neil, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for being on the show. Would love to have you back and dive deeper into some of these things, but I can't thank you enough for for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. It's been great. Uh, If anyone wants to learn more, it's all at workminus.com. Fantastic. So to our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will provide links to Neil's podcast, uh, as well as contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Neil Miller. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.